Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This is the Pitchfork Review. I'm senior editor Anna Gatza, and today we're talking about the rich and eclectic career of Janelle Monet. They're a musician, a writer, and an actor, and they've got a new album out that celebrates pleasure and being present. And it's a bit of a detour from their previous work. Since there's so much to talk about, I want to get right to it with our fabulous guests, contributing writers, Julianne Escobedo-Shepard and Heaven Hyla. Hey, y'all. Hey. Uh, howdy. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about Janelle Monet with you both. Uh, their new album just dropped. It's called The Age of Pleasure. And they've also recently starred in movies, including Hidden Figures and Glass Onion, which is where I want to start today. How do you each think of Janelle Monet? Do you think of them as an actor first or as a musician first? I think of Janelle Monet as more of like a world builder. They have done so much in like their acting career and in their music and like writing sci-fi short stories that it's difficult to like put them into one specific category because everything is so connected. They are a very, very good actor. I actually wonder if it's because those projects are by other people. They kind of can feel separate from the world building that you're talking about, Heaven. And like, Mm -hmm. but I agree. I see them as very much a full spectrum creative and they approach it in a different way than a lot of pop stars right now. And that like a lot of multi-hyphenates are kind of, you know, they do their art forms and then they also do some sort of capitalist venture, like, you know, a clothing line or a skincare everyone has freaking skincare but <laughs> they sort of seem to really channel most of their efforts in just like these creative worlds that's not to say that they're not within the capitalist rubric but they just seem more interested in crafting this career long narrative that they've been doing that's rooted in like sci-fi and afrofuturism and freaky shit So this new album, The Age of Pleasure, it's Janelle's fourth studio album. And Heaven, in their previous records, they were really building like a futuristic world. Can you kind of walk us through that storyline? Yeah, so it starts from their Metropolis EP. The story really starts with this android named Cindy Mayweather. And Cindy Mayweather is in this universe where androids are kind of very lower casts. um, And she ends up falling in love with a human. And it creates this kind of Hunger Games situation where there's a bounty placed on her head because they're not allowed to fall in love with humans. Android number 57821, otherwise known as Cindy Mayweather, has fallen desperately in love with a human named Anthony Greendown. And do you know the rules? 
she is now scheduled for immediate disassembly. And whoever gets her and disassembles her gets a bunch of money. So she's like on the run and she inspires this rebellion amongst these androids who are like, we deserve equal rights as well. And it like the android becomes this kind of symbol of the other, like queer people, black people, a bunch of marginalized groups. And then with Electric Lady, it's in the midst of Cindy being on the run and inspiring these rebellions. And she goes around in this like underground environments and inspires people to dance as a form of rebellion. And then with Dirty Computer, we are introduced to another alter ego whose name is Jane, a bunch of numbers behind her name because she's like turned into this really like anonymous figure. And Jane and Cindy are the same being. Um, Jane slash Cindy Mayweather is getting her memories erased. And each song is a different memory that they've had of these like underground rebellions. And then before their all of their memories are wiped out, they're rescued by their lover, Mary, who's played by Tessa Thompson. That's just the way you make me feel. And then that's where Dirty Computer leaves off of. The Age of Pleasure picks up, well, at least the way I interpret it, picks up on these femme dissidents winning the war and kind of like having this really fun time in this haven that they've built for themselves. Because I I feel like we talk a lot about the revolution and like whatever like that means. And it doesn't sound appealing because, you know, it, it comes with bloodshed and all this like horror. And it's not appealing if we don't know what comes at the end of it. Tony Cade Bambara said that like as a cultural worker who belongs to the oppressed people, my job is to make revolution irresistible. And I think that's what Janelle Monae's doing here because you're not going to want to go through all that bloodshed and horrific violence if you're just going to end up in a place worse than you you were before or the same as you were before. And I, I think that's what makes this album so pleasant to listen to, even with the corniness of some of the lyrics. More on that later. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really nice arc that they're building. I love seeing how you interpret this album as being within the story that was unfolding on Janelle's earlier albums from The Arch Android in 2010 through Dirty Computer in 2018. And there's really strong parallels with that story of, you know, obviously lessons about the fight for justice and about organization and about how culture is a, you know, powerful way to like remember and stay in touch, especially after the last couple of years, you know, we've all kind of tired of hearing, may you all live in interesting times. And, you know, Janelle is out here to remind us that that there is something better on the other side and that it is not just, you know, Blade Runner every day. (laughs) God, Blade Runner. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I really love your read on that, Heaven. And like, I mean, we talk a lot about joy too. And I think that we're having this joyful moment in pop music where people are actually really trying to celebrate in And maybe it's a a sort of like countermeasure towards the Blade Runner times, which 
are happening with increasing frequency or seem to be. But joy is one thing, like on its own. There's one thing to be said about release, joy and release. But I think that like joy is a reward and joy when there have been stakes, I think it has an added meaning. And so like thinking about this album on the level of the good people won the war (laughs) is like really sort of gratifying and actually like made me like the album more. And as did your review, Heaven, like good job. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Please read Heaven's review of this album on Pitchfork. Definitely a piece of criticism that helps me appreciate the album more. So let's talk about before we read Heaven's review. Let's talk about Heaven before you wrote that review. When you first (laughs) heard this album, what were you expecting and what did you hear? So from Float and Lipstick Lover, I thought that they were going to really lean into this kind of women's march, like pink. Their song Pink from Dirty Computer, if you remember yeah. those, that video with the, the pants that look like pussy. Yeah. Pink like your tongue going brown. Baby, pink like the sun going down. Maybe pink like the holes in your heart. Baby pink is my favorite part. I really appreciated the like femme the future message, but it really was leaning into this kind of like gender essentialism that I was like kind of confused about. And Lipstick Lover, I was like, I I really felt like they were playing into this kind of pride ad, like sapphic, whatever. But then when I listened to it as like a whole body of work, it really made sense for Lipstick Lover to come after Ulala, the Grace Jones featured song that it's on, because it's like in in the beginning, there's like birds chirping and like it really does feel like this like queer paradise. I just really didn't like it on its own, but within the album, you you notice the musical influences and this kind of like pan-African utopia that they've built sonically. And yeah, I'm just I'm just really glad that the album <laughs> redeemed the first two singles. Julianne, what about you? I agree. I heard it. I saw the video, obviously, and heard it at the same time. Sent the video to a bunch of friends got back a bunch of the like sweaty tongue out emoji but like no one was really talking about the song it was more just about you know happy pride but it does make so much more sense within the album and that's actually I think goes along with the idea of world building where it's like it's sort of you know this industry is built for singles and it really makes you appreciate that they approached it yet again, from an album perspective, rather than just like popping off a pop single for the club or whatever. You know, that's my favorite part. I think just that they decided to like delve into these different genres like high life and dance hall and like the featured artists are beyond (laughs) (laughs) like you're going to get Grace Jones and Sister Nancy (laughs) on your album and Nia Long. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's a little bit of a different lane for them. And I think ultimately it works really well with what they're trying to say. But I was not expecting it in any way, shape or form. 
You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. The musical and genre influences on this album, you know, we have Lipstick Lover, the lead single has definite reggae vibe, which, you know, makes a lot of sense for kind of a summer, a poolside jam song, you know, the way Janelle depicts the song in the video. But it's not just that. Haven, tell us some more about like some of the other sounds that you hear on this record. Yeah, they really hit different sounds of the diaspora in Phenomenal. It's like, I'm a piano. I think that's how you pronounce it. And this really like android ballroom influence. Dancing in the dark. How you feel? Phenomenal. A true work of art. She's ready. Phenomenal. And they all bow to you. How you feel? Phenomenal. Ready for round two. Bitch, I feel so phenomenal. There's also in Champagne Shit, there's this like really cool like Ethiopian dance music, electronic piano that I've never really heard in like other, I guess, Western music, which I thought was really cool. But also it kind of blends into this Egyptian flute. Yeah, I like all my kids. It's French when I'm on my champagne shit. Everybody turn around taking them pics because I'm on my champagne shit. And I'm throwing them tips. And there is a lot of like Egyptian royalty sounding brass throughout the album, which I think is like really cool from float on its own. It's just like, oh, like they're just like talking their shit. But then within the album, the way that I envisioned it is that they're like storming the capital of the new order, which is like the oppressive regime, like through the gates. And they're like on this really tall horse. Maybe they like borrowed the Renaissance horse and they're just like storming with their army of like femme dissidents. But yeah, I really like it. Came back from the future to take all y'all niggas and take all y'all hoes. They said I was by, yeah baby, I'm by a whole nother coast. She's staying in the hills, he's staying in Atlanta, I pay for them both. My face got don't come with a limit, I swipe it, I spin it, I swear I'll be doing the most. I was listening to Queen again, which was like the first song that really drew me into Janelle Monet, And they were really hinting at the fact that they are queer. Like there's this one line in Queen where they're like, Hey brother, can you say my soul from the devil? Say, is it weird to like the way she wear her tights? And is it rude to wear my shade? Am I a freak because I love watching Mary? And then also like, even if you edit me, The booty don't lie. And it really is like, it makes so much sense that they're like so much open now. And that was like in 2013 when, you know, I was going to say the times weren't as accepting, but they're really not that accepting now either. But also in Electric Lady, there's this part where there's a DJ and people are like calling in to ask about Cindy Mayweather and someone just blurts out, Robot love is queer. What? 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 Robot love is queer. Queer? What? 
I think it's funny that people are like, oh, we like we didn't see this coming. And like they were kind of like dropping hints. Yeah, all the signs were there. And and I think you had brought this up before about like where they sing like I'm serving face. And like I think they have always definitely sort of aligned themselves with queer culture and iconography. I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, serving face is like every third TikTok right now. But like in in 2013, (laughs) it was really like, it was like a bat signal (laughs) because it was still sort of vernacular that came from ball culture. And so when they did that, it was very, it felt very significant to say that on this pop song. But it's interesting the way that they have both possibly signaled towards their queer and non-binary within this sort of cyborg android creation, I guess. And then the whole point of Age of Pleasure is just like completely about freedom, basically. And they talk about it in various ways throughout the album and sound like they're unencumbered in this way that is really exciting. Like, I'm I'm happy for them, you know? And it's so interesting. I mean, even out the gate, they're like talking about how like they're living life in a new way. And I think that's really cool and fun to hear as well, because like, I think in the the very like top level mainstream, we don't really hear those narratives very much or see a pop star go on this journey of like being sort of like, are they, aren't they to like, yep, I'm queer. Yep. I'm non-binary and I'm fucking living like, (laughs) You know, I think that's pretty cool. We got more examples of that now, too. I think, like, Sam Smith is someone Mm -hmm. who also fills that arc now. But it is, it is, it's a pretty fresh arc. And there's a lot of blowback and hate directed at these people as well. You see that with some of the reaction to this album. I think some people were surprised about the, the Lipstick Lover video and maybe felt that it was, like, selling sex in a way. Um, We're sort of like, no, we want you to put the suit and the Android (laughs) machine back on. But... Which sort of speaks to how consistent Janelle Monet is before and really has that consistent brand. But let's talk about like what's going on now, right? So, you know, they've re- they're releasing this record and you know, in interviews they're kind of talking about it as not just not just a new album, a new promotion cycle, but they said, quote, a whole fucking lifestyle. Like, Heaven, can you talk a little bit about what you think Janelle means by that? Yeah, they've always been this kind of shapeshifter. Just when you think that you've got them pinned down, they really go on a whole new different groove. And I feel like they're also very much a disruptor in that for so long, mainly men, but also like people in general, were using them as a symbol to tell women, see, like you can be modest and you can be successful. And I think they were like, no, like I'm going to show my tits and like um, disrupt your preconceived notions of, like respectability, but also gender. I mean, I still think that people see them as a woman and like repeatedly in interviews, they'll be like, no, I love black women, but like, I'm not a woman. And they're very like adamant about it. And that forces people to rethink their conceptions of gender about like them as a person. And I think the confusion is really what makes people upset Because they're like, oh, we got so comfortable with you in this one way. And now you're making like Afrobeats, like you're just showing your tits, like I'm uncomfortable. I feel like with this album, they've 
pleasantly alienated their like white sci-fi dude audience. <laughs> I was on Reddit just seeing reactions to the album and they were really, really mad. And they were like, oh, like they used to make such deep music about sci-fi and like sociopolitical like commentary. And now they're making this really vapid music. And it's like, you just don't get it. There's also this kind of like underlying narrative that like African diaspora music is like lacks depth and it's only for like Hmm. partying and like whatever, which I think is also why people are like, oh, this album feels empty. But the way that they made this album is that they tested it at the parties that they would throw at Wonderland. And it's like, the people they hang out with are like queer, you know, African diaspora. Can we just talk about that? About the the parties at Wonderland? Like, <laughs> basically, they were throwing pandemic parties at their pool at Wonderland that were connected with everyday people. Everyday People is a party series that is like kind of by and for Black people and like really features a lot of Black music. And Janelle Monet was hosting it at her Wonderland Artist Collective house in LA and Jenna moved to LA during the pandemic, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little, an underrated aspect of this album. Sometimes you move to LA and you really like uh, let loose. <laughs> <laughs> just reading Monkaper's like Rolling Stone profile of Janelle Monet and just the description of Wonderland West, which is like the physical location, it really does seem like the Garden of Eden. Like I really want to like visit there and like, it just seems really like surreal and I feel like I mean, like, that's another part of them building this kind of haven for themselves. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts in Dea, at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people and a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Julianne, did you once go to Janelle Monae's house? So I went to Wonderland East, I guess it is now, Wonderland Atlanta, (laughs) um, in 2013, I believe, for a Billboard story. And they had, like, AstroTurf in the living room as carpet, basically, which very soft astroturf, I must add. I put my bare toes in it. (laughs) And they had like um, a house-wide like scent system. So like the entire house smelled like magical cookies baking like (laughs) all the time. And they had like a tent thing, which they called Occupy Wonderland, where they could go in the tent and just like write or like meditate or do whatever. And when you talk about Janelle world building, it's very much like they are living their life like that as well. And so when I think about the pandemic parties, which I would have like done 
five murders to attend while I was sitting in my like <laughs> little corner in my apartment. But anyway, you know, I think that they try to create in this sort of magic in, in their day-to-day life as well. And also with the whole style thing, I mean, you know, obviously for a long time they were wearing black and white and they had said that it was sort of an homage to the uniform that their mother wore. They grew up very working class in Kansas City and their mother was a domestic worker at a hotel and she had to wear a uniform. And so it was sort of an homage to that. And now I think, you know, if you look at the photos of them at the Met Gala after party <laughs> they threw at the Boom Boom Room in New York City, like they're straight up like bra underwear dancing on the bar. Like it's this really big shift of like sort of accepting their sort of newfound class bracket, <laughs> which I mean, I kind of understand because like I grew up very working class as well. And like, you know, you get to a level when you start sort of seeing yourself come up into the middle class and it can be very jarring. And they even talk about it on this album. I think it's the song Champagne Shit. That's the song where they mention like, I'm on vacation. Oh yeah, when they're like, we used to split bills. I used to pray about taking vacations, remember them bills we split. Now I'm here with Bueno and we busting bottles like we won a championship. You know, it's not an uncommon narrative in music of like, the like class come up, but it feels very significant because this sort of signifier of like their upbringing, their class upbringing was such an integral part of their just whole persona. And that's part and parcel of the pleasure that they're promoting on this album. Even though it is this familiar narrative of parties, music for partying, celebrating the good life, pleasure, we do not hear a lot of name drops or like brand names. There's not a lot of pop songs now that don't use a designer label or an aspirational purchase as a symbol of that freedom and that like achievement. But Janelle just talks about like vacation and bills, like things that everybody understands. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really, it's celebratory of success, but it is also celebratory in a way that is like not reminding you of like something that you can't have. I mean, let's face it, as much as I love fashion, fashion labels are not going to survive the revolution. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about it's it. It's timeless. It makes it feel timeless. And it made yeah. that made a lot of sense on Janelle's previous albums, too, since they were set in the future or something. They, they probably don't shop at the same mall. But even kind of celebrating the present moment, Janelle's just totally in their own lane on their own wave. Mm. At the same time, they're also making you know music that is much more explicitly about and for queer people and about and for Black people and is kind of like dialing into their that audience in a way. And like, how do we feel about that on this album? At a, at a time like this where, you know, queer people are being legislated away, just creating music that can inspire joy. Also, just like using specific phrases. And I feel like they're, they've become a bit like, you know, ubiquitous now because they're like all over TikTok. But certain phrases that you wouldn't necessarily understand unless you were part of like a specific community. And also just like with the features with like young queer artists like Dochi and Amare, just their like inclusion on the album, I I think is also such a great way to platform young queer voices. And, you know, they're like unabashedly a bit apocalyptically like corny on this album and you know like reggae Afrobeats have been 
historically very homophobic mm. and also like very misogynistic as well. Yeah. And just for Janelle Monet to kind of play this really androgynous role with like their voice, with their kind of like, you know, sometimes they play like the persona of this kind of like sultry, like strip club owner that The weekend thinks that they're like <laughs> emulating, uh, but they just yeah. do it so well. But then they're also this kind of just like really down bad lover who like, like kind of like Pepe Le Pew <laughs> <laughs> and just like really fawning over women in their lives. And I, I think that's that that's what makes the dynamic really fun to listen to. I see Janelle's career as kind of existing in this transitional moment when we went from subliminally queer to explicitly queer in pop culture. And they've they've kind of been walking right across that line the whole time. But some people can't see across the line. And like, <laughs> especially that symbolism of like throwing off a uniform and like a uniform, whether it's a hotel worker or a security guard or whatever it is, it says like, it says, you know what to expect from me. It says I'm going to act a certain way and, you know, perhaps serve you the customer and like just really symbolic to just like tear that off and say like, no, like titties out. We're always talking about titties out and pop. <laughs> the gatefold, apparently the LP gatefold of this album, if you unfold it, it is like a a titty portrait. Like a portrait of titties? Like it's it's like Janelle Monet's chest in the gatefold. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, let's all look at Janelle's titties. <laughs> well, I think Janelle wants you to. Um, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do y'all have any favorite songs on this album? My favorite song is Phenomenal. And I really like the part where it sounds like she's an android, like the way that like their voice is like pitched. And also the bridge. Like it feels like this kind of festival. And that's, I really like that sound. It is really a vibe album in certain ways. Like sit with it and let it envelop you. And hopefully you're, you know, on a beach with like a rum punch. But like it it very feels like that to me exactly. Like I was like, why am I not on vacation right now? Which I guess is also the point of this album. <laughs> what about some things in this album that we maybe might have changed if we had the chance um, I know, Heaven, earlier you said that some of the lyrics were not always not always hitting the spot for you. Yeah. I think the last song is called Dry Red. Hey, baby, let me plant my seeds. I got plans for you and me. Come and find me in an hour. Leave me in the back near the shower. I, I was like, oh, okay, this is getting <laughs> a little very corny, but... I, I saw someone else say that the it's like very like brunch hashtag blessed music. Sometimes I, I like corny music like that, like Beyonce's Black Parade. A lot of the lyrics are like, did you like really have to say that? But you can tell that they're like feeling themselves. I think that's what like makes it fun. Yeah, there's like a difference between a corny lyric that someone wrote because they're just not good at writing lyrics and a corny lyric that someone wrote because they're like feeling extremely earnest about their situation at that moment. <laughs> and I feel like that's what we have here. Sometimes a hot person is talking to you. It doesn't even matter what they say, really. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. 
as we're looking ahead, considering the shifting winds of time, what do you see as coming up next for Janelle Monae? What do you think? What do you think their next move is? I would really like a Wonderland West theme park. I think that would be very <laughs> fun to attend. So I would also like to go to the Wonderland theme park. Um, <laughs> it would definitely smell really good. Kevin and Julianne, so great talking to you. Thanks for joining me to delve into this album. I think it's I think it's been growing on all of us, you know, even even in the last few days. So mm-hmm. it's been great talking to y'all. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. So fun. The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast. Catherine Penalosa at Rococo Punch is our senior producer. James Trout at Rococo Punch is our technical producer. Ryan Domble is our showrunner. Jessica Gramulia is our music supervisor. I'm Anna Gatza. Thanks for listening. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through with Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through with Vogue wherever you get your podcasts.